Hello and welcome to the Real Food Whole Health Podcast, where it's all about real food and holistic living in the real world, with your host, nutritional therapist, Amy Love. And please note our disclaimer, all information and content in this podcast is for general information only and not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Hello, and welcome to the Real Food Whole Health Podcast. Today, we're visiting with family wellness strategist, Bronwyn Hudson from Fuel Your Family. Thanks so much for being here, Bronwyn. Uh, Thank you so much for having me, Amy. It's a pleasure. Oh, I'm thrilled that you're here. And now we are connecting. You're in the UK currently, right? Yes, despite the accent, I'm currently <laughs> in the UK. <laughs> um, yeah, hmm. for those picking up on it, that's a New Zealand accent. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> now, how long have you been in the UK? Ah, gosh, we'll be coming up two years in June, July. Oh, wow. In July. Mm. Great. That's amazing. How has that transition been for you? It's kind of still a transition in some respects. Um, <laughs> good question. It's, um, I mean, it's been fabulous. We have just rolled with whatever's come. The whole purpose of the journey has evolved as we've, um, as we've done it. So we've made the move myself, my husband, and our four children. Wow. Who are currently aged. Uh, four, six, seven, and nine. So, oh my gracious, <laughs> busy mama, busy mama. Um, maybe crazy thing to do with that, you know, with the kids the ages they are. But actually, you learn so much by watching the way that the children just adapt and are so resilient and are so yeah. You learn a lot from children. So, yeah, it's, it, we're transitioning well, I think. Well, what a great adventure for them to, you know, to really build in that, you know, that resilience and that adaptive and, and just seeing how other people live and eat and, you know, all of that when you're young. Absolutely. That was the whole, you know, well, a lot of the purpose was just giving children a global perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and the UK is fabulous because it's a great base. And then you just have all of Europe on your doorstep. Um, so last summer, you know, we were off to France, we were just in the car, we could just drive and um, my eldest son, who was eight at the time, his, um, he'd been learning a little bit of French at school and then getting to use it. He wanted to order all our food when we were there. And Oh, wow. Filled. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Absolutely fabulous. So, um, you know, just experiences we could not access anywhere near as easily from New Zealand, obviously. Yeah, when you're in New Zealand, you're in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and everybody's sort of long like US, like pop up to Canada, and that's yeah, pretty much it. Unless we, uh, yeah, get on the plane. So uh, it's really helpful to, like you said, have everything at your doorstep and be able to take those almost even quick trips. You know, like an extended weekend will get you someplace really cool. So. Nice. Good. So you're a family health uh, coach and wellness strategist. Tell me, like, what that means. Tell me what you do. I want to know more. What I do. All right. Well, um, what I do is very personalized to whoever I work with, really. But um, I love working with families as a whole. Um, Often, you know, often, and you you possibly find this as well, Amy, you know, it's often driven by the mother um, for Mm -hmm. some reason, but I like getting everybody involved and taking in the needs of of the whole family unit and then um, strategizing on uh, with them um, to help them reach whatever their goals are. So I look at nutrition um, and stepping up to eating better, but I look at a lot more than that as well. So it's very holistic. I look a lot at parenting, um, just family organisation, mindfulness strategies, all sorts of of um, aspects, and that are all really important in a family, right? So important. Mm. Yeah, and I love that you work with families as a unit. I love that too because it's like you're all under the same roof. You know, you're eating the same food. Like we don't want mom making seven different meals. You know, like everybody eating at different times and different things with I mean it's one thing to make a few tweaks to a meal for someone's allergies or preferences but like yeah I've talked to moms that make separate whole things for every little person and it's like oh my goodness so yeah and to really affect the health as a whole and I think they really stick with it longer and I think you see uh, almost an exponential benefit by that many people 
you know, under one roof, like upgrading at the same time. Absolutely. And everyone does, you know, each each member takes things on, at, you know, each member of the family takes things on at their own race. I see that within my own family and they all, um, you know, so you're not necessarily all doing everything at the same time, but it's all being talked about and implemented and happening and then everyone will, will jump on board at their own right pace. Um, mm-hmm. You know, even the adults in the family will do things in their own time, but um, having it all covered off together is just, it's so its so much more powerful. And um, yeah, I have a real, obviously I am a mum and I do have a real passion for, you know, really nurturing the mum as well and that all of the things that come with being a mother and trying to be everything to everybody. So often mum is last on the list, you know. So and often. But do you know what yeah. I'm also seeing more and more of is that actually there's so much of this movement towards nurturing mums that I feel like dads are getting left out a bit as well. Oh, yeah, true. Um, actually, they have a lot of their own needs and, um, you know, male mental health is a huge um, a huge unspoken issue quite often um, mm-hmm. and something that's been a, a, an element in our family as well. And you know, I think, gosh, you know, I, that's why I like working with the family and, and actually bringing in the perspective of the dads. My husband is actually a trained health coach as well, so some similarities oh, cool. to, that's my husband. to you. That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> actually, I loved that when I saw that about you. I thought, oh, yeah, yeah, that's such a, um, you know, I mean, it's such a connecting thing to have someone that's on the same wavelength as you in the relationship. Oh, it's huge. And then, yeah, and, you know, we weren't, we weren't, he wasn't even thinking about going there. It was just, you know, he was so impressed with our transformation he was so impressed with my training he was just like really excited about wow I didn't even ever consider this you know coming from an IT background and all that consider this as a a possibility in his you know in his life he didn't even think about it but he has enjoyed it so much and it has just enriched you know our conversation and our relationship so much to be able to you know collaborate on these things absolutely absolutely that's very very cool and then what you can offer your clients because of that, because of the understanding mm-hmm. and having that male perspective um, and having yes. that father perspective for the families. It's, all, you know, it's a really powerful tool, I believe. Yeah, and I think, too, like, you know, other men really like to hear, you know, the dads like to hear, like, how he came to this and how he deals with it. And, you know, I think so often it feels like, oh, my wife wanted to make the changes and whatever, and... I didn't really go along with it or whatever. And so it was kind of like he can provide that and speak the language, whereas I might sound a lot more like the wife, you know. Exactly, exactly. Mm. That's awesome. Great. Mm. Now, it was actually your husband, he was dealing with some health challenges that kind of even brought you to this work, right? Yeah, that's right. That was certainly the first thing that really made us change. You know, he was – he was – really should have been in his prime and he was a professional rugby player. Um, we were living over here actually in Europe. He was, was playing, um, you know, top level rugby here and ended up. That's strenuous. <laughs> it is, you know, and it's, <laughs> it's strenuous on lots of levels. And I think that's why uh, that brought a new understanding to health for me. So he ended up, um, uh, he collapsed on a field and training and airlifted oh. to hospital and never found anything wrong and eventually diagnosed with um, overtraining syndrome or, or chronic fatigue from overtraining. Mm-hmm. And, of course, there's really nothing um, conventionally that, you know, that can be done. It's all lifestyle and nutrition-based interventions to, mm-hmm. to find your way back to health. So that was, um, that was a, a real learning journey. And for us, we were only both in our um, early 20s and planning our, our wedding and believing we had quite a few um, years of, of his professional sport left in, us yet, you know, in there yet. Um, so that was a huge, a huge change to us. And Oh, yeah. Massive. Uh, That's like an about face on every level. <laughs> it is. It is. And... Um, yeah, and he was two and a half years before he sort of was working again, and and that you know as the um, I was going to say the wife, I wasn't even quite the wife at that early stages. Um, as the as fiance, I just did I immersed myself in research, trying to find out anything I possibly could that would help him, and 
you know, ended up with quite this toolbox. And who knows really what it was that did the trick in the end. But um, he did end up actually being reselected um, at top level rugby again um, four years later. And oh wow, that's amazing. Yeah, and now he, did, you know, now he manages himself. So um, through lifestyle, through diet, through exercise, yeah. through a lot of self awareness. Um, it's all of it. It's so holistic because really, you know, when you're talking about chronic fatigue and all of it, I mean, it's a, like a full breakdown, like on every level. It's the body's broken down. It's burnout. You know, the, the mind is broken down. There's all of this, like, sleep probably hasn't been happening. The adrenals are shot, like, on every level, all this stuff. And so you really are kind of rebuilding that and then maintaining that. Like you said, there wasn't, like, uphill he could take or a, just one solution. It was evaluating the whole lifestyle and going, okay, like, what do we need to refeed and refuel and all of that? Absolutely. And actually, you know, you never feel it at the time. But looking back, we both have this awareness that that, that part of our journey just taught us so much mm-hmm. um, about just how important balancing all the different aspects of our life is. Mm-hmm. Um now, did you have like a holistic perspective before or was it very like for me when I was having health issues, like I was only kind of looking through the lens of conventional, you know, allopathic medicine because that's what I was raised with. And it wasn't until I had like a health crisis with migraines, I had migraines every day for two years as from like 11 to 13. And finally, it was an herb that pulled me around right and it was like wait a minute what herbs what is this you know and so at you know 14 I started delving into that I always joke that I was the teenager reading prevention magazine you know instead of 17 (laughs) (laughs) that it it really like helped me have a new worldview and a new paradigm to like see other things through because I know when you moved on and you did get married and you had kids like you had like uh, a baby with reflux, and so did you like look at that differently than you might have before? Do you know? I think I was still so I very much like you had come only from a conventional standpoint beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, that's all, you know, just like you, it's how I was raised. It's all I'd ever really known. I was pretty skeptical of anything that wasn't you know, very scientifically proven and and prescribed by a doctor, really. Um, Probably, I mean, much more aware, even just pregnancy itself, brought Mm -hmm. the next layer for me of just realizing the impact of, you know, being much more conscious of anything that I was putting in my body, on my body, um, knowing the effects of the, you know, on on the fetus. And then having our first with reflux, I... I would do now. I mean, he's nine now, and I'm obviously that much further down the track. Looking back now, mm-hmm. I was still very conventional then. Um, mm-hmm. But I did more other, uh, more open to other options than I would have been had we not been down the journey with my husband as well. So um, it's all a journey, and I'm still on a journey, and I still know so little, and I'm still learning so much. Um, Isn't that funny? The more that you learn, the more you feel like you don't know anything I at all. I know. I know. <laughs> In fact, it's really, it really stagnated me doing anything for so long because I started realizing, gosh, I just know so little. I, I'm going <laughs> Anything I put out there publicly right now, I'm going to cringe at in two years' time because my, my learning will have moved on so far. But... Um, you know, I, we we sort of used a mixture with um, with that first child, and and actually ended up. Um, I was very open to um, diet um, as well with him, and it, it actually turned out that he did have a, a very severe um, cow's milk protein allergy. Aha. Uh-huh. Um, so if you were breastfeeding, he was getting that. Yeah, well, through. he was. Yeah. And so we were, we were prescribed a um, horrible smelling formula and oh, no. um, really wasn't given the option. You know, I wasn't told, well, you actually could continue feeding him, but it will mean a radical change for you. It was mm-hmm. just that um, this, is what he, this is what's wrong and this is what he needs to do. So we took mm-hmm. home this very expensive um tin of foul smelling formula <laughs> and um you know gagging trying to mix it up and he wouldn't take it and in the end you know I looked into it and realized that I could continue breastfeeding so I did 
did um, and I strictly dairy free feeding him and, and that was once again another step on the journey because I had never felt so fabulous um, as I did when I had to make these changes to my diet. I think mm-hmm. in everything, that's when any little elements of anything that was left processed in our house kind of disappeared um, and I made everything from scratch so that I could control what was in it and just, yeah, because it can hide so many places. It's in everything. It was in everything. Yeah, and when you have a screaming baby, you really want to <laughs> make those changes as thoroughly oh, as possible. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So, yeah, I just felt fabulous. So that was another whole thing for me. Wow, actually, diet, you know, just changing my diet, just eating real food. I can feel this amazing even when I've got a really full-on baby and I was running a business then as well. So, um, a different business, a preschool perception motor skills program. Oh wow, cool. Mm, so mm. busy. <laughs> mm. That's a that's a lot. That's a lot to take on and a lot to change. And you know, I, I do totally identify with what you're talking about when you're putting out the information and it's like, oh, I know I'm gonna like learn so much more and I actually think it's really a, a beneficial sign that you know you kind of realize like oh I know so little when there is so much to know and so much I want to learn I think it's beneficial than so much more than going oh I know everything absolutely you know yeah being open-minded being open to learning open to growth searching for the answers I think that's such a huge key because different things are going to work for different people at different times in their lives and so adding to that toolbox adding to your knowledge base all of that you never know when you might have to draw upon that for yourself or for a client. Um, and you don't know so many of these things until you try them and find out. And I think that people appreciate um, that information because they can go look like they tried and they saw and this worked or this didn't work or, you know, it's kind of like they're learning from your experience too. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and I'm definitely, I'm always out there looking for new things. So the more I, um, like you said, you know, the more you learn, the more you realize you need to learn. <laughs> and um, so the more I'm out there searching for those learning opportunities all the time. And it's one of the things I just love about being um, in the UK is, is just access to some amazing um, professional development. So I yeah, you're in a new program now, aren't you? I am. I'm doing a master's in science at the moment in personalized nutrition. Um, very cool. Which is very very cool. Um, and I'm also a member of the Royal Society of Medicine over here. So we live in this gorgeous idyllic um, English village, you know, with cottages with thatched roofs around us. Oh my so, gosh! So just wound. <laughs> I love that. And we can be in London in just over an hour. Oh, nice. So it's fabulous. So I've done some trips down to um, Royal Society of Medicine. For I just delve into things from any of the different schools, just anything that interests me. I went down to an allergy day. I went down to a maternity forum um, that was looking at all sorts of things, but they were t- one of the speakers that had really drawn me was talking about the epigenetic effects of um, – mm of the, well, there was a few things. They were looking at stress during pregnancy and the impact mm-hmm. on the child and also um, the impacts of different um, labor experiences and mm-hmm. how that affects the child's stress hormones as well. So oh, That's so powerful. And I'm always so fascinated by anything epigenetics. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think mm-hmm. this is so... You know, it's answers so many questions for us. It's like, oh, I can't believe we missed this for so long. You know, it's not about the genes that we have. It's how they're being expressed. That is, yeah, yeah. And what we can do to change that expression. That's what I love, that it's so empowering that, you know, and, and so many people don't realize that, I think, still, that our genetic makeup is, not actually who we are it's our risk factors really isn't it and yes. it's uh, a predisposition it's a predisposition but it's really it's it's only if it's combined with the a particular the environment that it's going yeah. to be expressed and yeah um yeah so i i do i love getting into all of the genetic side as well and that's part of what's so true. empowering like you said i love that it's very empowering to say okay well then if i can 
take certain steps. I mean, I know we can't avoid everything. We can't live in a bubble. But if we can, you know, arm ourselves with the best nutrition and getting out the toxins in our in our household that we can and getting movement and fresh air and sunshine and building healthy relationships. And, you know, there's all these areas that we have control over, uh, our thoughts, our emotions, all of this that, you know, it can really stave off a lot of these things that before we were told, oh, it's just genetics. It runs on your family. Your parents had it. You're going to have it. And it's like, nope, it doesn't work that way. Absolutely. And that's, yeah, yeah that is really cool. So um, it's it's exciting. It's really exciting. Yeah. And it's such a new field. Um, it's certainly an area where there's going to be a lot more information coming out over the next few years. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, you know, the, um, the, um, Human genome was really only fully mapped, you know, when was it, 2000? So, uh, yeah, which is mind-blowing. <laughs> so, you know, the amount of research that's, that's happened since then and the way that things are going to go, it's very, very exciting. And that's another thing that personally we, I've been really interested in. You know, I've had all, um, done a lot of genetic testing for myself and um, just the... the um, information that it's provided and some of the yes. things that it's explained and uh, you know just different things I, I know we're meant to be you know this is just a nice um you know having a having a coffee I've never really been able to drink coffee I've always felt really jittery and really funny and and then yeah. when I got my um my genetic testing done it's like oh you know I actually do have a problem um in my uh rate that I can process caffeine and um, I knew that already because I knew how right. I felt when I drank it you know it's really only I'm confirmed something yeah. I knew <laughs> yeah um, when it goes into like the MTHFR mutations and all of this like yeah it was really eye-opening and I have the same thing with caffeine where you know when I when I do go out for coffee it's you know organic and fair trade and decaf and all that because it has to be as clean as possible or I really can't handle it mm, I'm the same yeah Heartlessly yeah. funny, it's yeah. yeah, yeah, and really just miserable. <laughs> yeah, funny, and, isn't you it? Know, but I actually really it like it. <laughs> yeah, I do too. I do too. Um, you know, a lot of times I like to just go like work at the cafe or something so that I get the smell of coffee, and then maybe I'll have an herbal tea or something. <laughs> I do exactly the same. <laughs> <laughs> it's just something about it. It just smells. I don't know. So fresh and so like breakfast and warmy and I don't know. Absolutely. So, you know, after you, you know, as your family was growing, in fact, it it grew fairly quickly once you (laughs) started having babies, didn't it? I know, and each one brought their new learning. So, you know, our our second child, um, she she was like the toddler, I always say she was the toddler that always had sore tummies. And she, you know, periodically we'd go to the doctor to find about it, you know, ask if there's anything going on, and they'd check things, and... Um, she, oh, she, yeah, there was a few other things going on as well, but we, our general, our GP, our, um, our doctor, which was, was really amazing, and um, she did suggest to us several times that we should trial her on a gluten-free diet, and so I was still at this point very much a um, gluten-free diet was just a trendy thing to do, mm-hmm. <laughs> even right. though like, I'd experienced allergies right. firsthand with my son, and you know it was still well, you know what. So anyway, eventually it got to the point where it got so bad. I remember my mother saying to me one, you know, one day we were at her place and she said, Rom, and she's just, you've got to take her to the doctor. And I said, I can't take her back now because I've taken her so many times and so many times they've recommended a gluten-free diet. So I can't take her back until I've tried it. And I really tried it just to kind of cross it off the list. Mm-hmm. And go, well, that didn't work. Exactly. What did <laughs> <Yeah>. Exactly. <laughs> unfortunately, well, unfortunately, actually, you know, and it was only it worked. three weeks and then that was it. Two years of sore stomachs had disappeared. So, oh, wow. Um, you know, and as we, we went back through and food challenge everything. So suddenly we were then a dairy-free and gluten-free house. Um, yeah, then, then along came the third child and um, she brought her own um, – journey with us so she uh used to stop breathing all the time mm. and that's scary that's scary it first started when she was 12 weeks old 11 weeks old and um she lived on on a breathing monitor and and she brought a lot of stress with her um and you know I really it, it was really me that year I think that um 
Uh, it, it really, you know, there's real links between stress and all sorts of things. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, the other thing that I'm really interested in, I love the epigenetics, I'm really interested in all the other research that's happening around the microbiome mm-hmm. and how much that is responsible for, you know, everything. <laughs> everything. Everything. Absolutely everything. Our Categorically, skin, our everything. mood, our brain function, <laughs> our, yeah, everything, our eyesight, every single thing. Just everything. Um, you know, our cravings, our weight, everything. It's incredible. But, uh, and the fact that we're more bacteria than human, like more bacteria cells than human cells, it's amazing. And people that don't know kind of go, wait, what? <laughs> you know, like, ew, I thought we were supposed to kill all the bacteria. And it's like, nope. <laughs> I mean, they're our friends. We need them. But yes, we just need them need in the them. right balance. And yes. um, stress, actually, uh, it affects our digestion. It also affects our gut flora. Yeah. And I really saw that quite physically in that year of our third child's first year of life where mm-hmm. I don't think like, you know, everyone was always saying, you know, you guys are coping so well and everything else. And we weren't consciously stressed as such. But in terms of what was physiologically happening, absolutely. You know, I'm, you know, you talk about the HPA axis or that you know, hypothalamus pituitary mm-hmm. axis and, um, for that year, I don't think we ever fell into a deep sleep because we were always on edge for her alarm to be going off, and you have to have a ten-second response time. And you, oh my gracious, there you can only leave it with someone that's first aid trained and everything else. And we never really left it with anybody, and and you're consciously on edge, and that took a huge toll. Mm-hmm. And in me, that showed up in stress on the digestive system um, and um, imbalances in my, in my gut microflora. So it, that was a really interesting link just to actually really physically experience that. Mm-hmm. Right there in real time, yeah. Right there in real time. And then now as I'm doing more and more study and reading about how all of the physiology, you know, learning about the physiolo- physiology and the mechanisms involved in creating that response, um, I can look back and see exactly what was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was another interesting <laughs> interesting one. Um, and right on the back of that, along came the fourth child. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I was already in probably a reasonably depleted state by then as well, mm-hmm. but having had that stress and um and the just not having a good microbiome that's affected her as well. So her and I both battled thrush just after she was born, backwards and forwards between us, and mm. um, I ended up with all sorts of allergy reactions, uh, things that things that were different than I'd ever experienced before. Um, and so that became probably where all my learning about the gut started. Um, and did a lot of work on both her and and myself, um, and getting balance back there. And yeah, it's been it's been a great journey. <laughs> That's amazing. And you know, I mean, what you know now that you can look back and go, wow, what a great teaching experience. What a great you know, I'm so grateful that this happened, so that I did learn and I did jump for it because I'm sure in the midst of it, it was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> Oh, you know, it had its times. It definitely had its times. But you kind of just keep going because mm-hmm. you do and you have to. And, um, right. Yeah. And when you have three to four little ones, depending on you, yeah. you have to. Absolutely. And you can't let yourself fall over. And that's probably, um, you know, that's one of the things I work on a lot with mums. And we talked about that beforehand, you know, a little bit about the mums, but you also, um, my husband's also suffered with depression during that time, mm-hmm. which he's quite open about, and he's written a, a fabulous post about on um, on my f- um, website, actually. Oh, good. That's I'll make sure to link to that. Mm-hmm. I'll make sure to link to that. For anybody that's listening, if, I'm sure you're multitasking, so I will have all the links on our show notes. Um, it's Real Food, Whole Health, 
com. Just go under podcast under episodes and click on this episode and you'll find all the links to Bronwyn's site, everything that we've talked about. Uh, yeah, and definitely to that post because that's, I know that that's really helpful. A lot of people have found that post really, really helpful. And I think because as he was going through it, it wasn't something that we talked about you know, openly. And, and I never really spoke to anybody because you feel like you're um, betraying you know, their trust if you do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but, you know, he has become so passionate about wanting to help people um, and open up that conversation because it would have been easier for him if he could have spoken about things more openly. And mm-hmm. But, you know, he's this, he's still, um, I, he's just, he's an amazing man. And, but, you know, I think a lot of guys relate to him because he's a bloke. He's a he's a proper guy, you know. And he, yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and and he, then he can openly talk about a battle with depression as well, you know. it's um, it, Yeah, it's great. Um, and he, he wrote a lovely post about that, so we'll definitely link through to that one. Um, but, you know, it, it showed, it, it, we, we kept looking out for each other really throughout all of this journey because we knew that we did have all these children depending on us and they still are all here depending on us and we've got better and better at reading each other's signs but we've also got better and better at reading our own signs and Mm -hmm. knowing what we need and knowing how to ask each other for it or or how to find um, you know from other people or, or any way that we can to make sure that we get what we need to keep ourselves afloat. Oh, right. And that's the thing, like making sure you've got the time for self-care, because I know so often, you know, it's easy to let, you know, mom or dad get depleted and not fill their own cup back up. You know, I love that quote, you can't pour from an empty cup, so fill your cup up first. You know, it's so important, and I think that's such a good, you know, picture to keep in our minds of, you know, when you don't have anything left to give, you really have to... You know, you're not doing anybody any favors. Absolutely not. And, you know, that's the thing. So many people feel guilty. And, and hands up, I used to be one of those, you know, that if you, for doing something, feel selfish doing something for yourself mm-hmm. because how can you find time for yourself when all these people need you? But it's so true what you just said, Amy. You know, it's the best thing you can do for all these people that need you mm-hmm. to make sure that you're giving enough to yourself that you've got something to give them. Um, and how on earth can you feel guilty about doing that when you look at it? Right. You know, it's just reframing it and looking at it through different different eyes. And it's one of the things I love strategizing with people is working out, you know, actually, so we are all really busy. And and it's quite legitimate when you say, yeah, fair enough, but I don't, I don't have time for that. Um, but when you sit down and really strategize, you can find different ways of, um, just finding little things. I'm working with um, a client at the moment that's got a newborn and we're having to rejig things for her, you know, and, and re-looking at, well, what is, how does she find her time right now? What she was mm-hmm. doing before her third child was quite different to what she can do now um, in terms of, you know, just grabbing a five-minute break and just spending five minutes focusing on breathing. Massive pick-me-up. Um, yes, that's a huge difference. Resets your physiology, you know, the HPA yeah. axis. It just does so much. It's so incredibly powerful. Um, and she's already done a lot of breath work with me with other things. So she, you know, within five minutes of breath work is is huge. But it's reseeing. Okay, I don't need to go and spend a whole day in a, in a day spa to feel like I'm mm-hmm. doing anything for myself. You can really make big changes by um, just little bits here and there. And... Uh, I love letting everybody, I've never found anybody that couldn't actually find time for themselves some way or the other. Uh, exactly. And sometimes it is that tweak. And, you know, I, I find that the that the baby steps are so important because, you know, so many of us get stuck in that all or nothing mentality. Like, okay, I have to change everything in my life, you know, or <laughs> I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. And it's like there's so much gray area and there's so much opportunity there for improvement, for a better than choice. You know, we we um, share in our practice the change one thing. We actually have people go on social media and hashtag change one thing. And we've set it up as a challenge so that people will 
pick just one thing to try, and it could be as simple as changing out butter for your margarine or, you know, doing that five minutes of deep breathing or walking outside in the sunshine at at lunch instead of sitting at your desk or whatever, but they commit to one thing they're going to change that day and share it so that it kind of encourages other people to do the same thing. And it's like, I think people start seeing like, oh, right, there is like, a tiny step I could take that five minutes of deep breathing, mm-hmm. you know, that could make a world of difference. It doesn't have to be the day at the day spa or the, you know, the um, high level yoga practice or whatever. Like you could just do a small thing and it could, you know, those all add up to big, big changes. Absolutely. I wish you could see how much I'm nodding along with you right now, Amy. <laughs> you know, and I think it's that, that is the that is the way to make changes that are going to be much more sustainable too. Yes. And that's the yeah. key. You know, it's the same. I was doing a, a, an assignment recently, um, and one of the things was assessing what uh, it was for a, a, a client that had a multitude of health problems, but um, obesity was kind of the overlying factor. And so it was looking at what was the best macronutrient ratio for weight loss in, in the research. Sounds a bit boring. But anyway, it was actually fascinating. <laughs> it was actually fascinating because what I found is you're delving into all the research and there's some really good quality trials out there on different diets for weight loss. And there was a lot of them that seemed to work and not work. Even, you know, a high-fat, low-carb diet worked and didn't work depending on the trial and and a, a high-carb you know, low-fat diet worked and didn't work, depending on the diet. And the thing that was really overrode at all was that for the for a diet to work long time, it had long term, it had to be sustainable. Yes. And so, in that respect, it was often the pro the protein component that made a diet the easiest to stick to because of the satiety or the, the feeling of fullness that came from including a portion of protein in each meal. But that exactly. was the so only... can't be hungry all the exactly. time. Exactly, and just managing the blood sugars and all of that. But that was the reason that that was more successful for weight loss long term was mainly to do with the fact that it kept you feeling fuller. But mm-hmm. most of the diets did something short term. So it was, re- you know, it was really interesting that to actually... Any shape, I kept thinking about it from all the lifestyle factors at the same time as I was reading all this research and thinking this is the same as anything. It doesn't matter what you do. It's whether what you do is going to be sustainable for you. Mm-hmm. And if you can yes. do that bit by bit, um, it's more likely to become embedded and, and and be something that, you know, that you do long term. So it's it's kind of the same with the parenting things. You know, it's like well, you can't come in and, and change your whole parenting style overnight. It's just choosing one thing to think about. Right. One of your- Yeah, like how can I reconnect today? Like how can I mm. have less screen time or how can I respond with, you know, a more gentle whatever. You know, yeah, like one thing to go in the direction that you want to go in. Absolutely. Focus on one aspect of your language that you, you know, you try and reframe or something. Yeah, it's great. That's powerful. I love it. And it really is about the long-term strategy because, you know, again, we talked about, like, having that toolkit, having that, you know, kind of, like, resource bag to go to you know I would say my bag of tricks because it's like when somebody is dealing with the things that are all going to come up everybody you know even if you get to healthy which you know I say in almost every podcast everybody thinks healthy is like a town that you get to and you live there and you're happy (laughs) but we all know like it's not right it's really about building in resilience it's really about building in the ability to ride out the ups and downs and li- that life is going to throw at you because it's always going to be something coming around. You know, there's going to be some kind of outside influence that you're exposed to, whether that's germs that are going to lead to a cold or a flu, or it's going to be, you know, external stress, or it's going to be environmental toxins or whatever. There's always going to be something that our bodies have to deal with. And it's really knowing how to ride that out and building in the capability for your body to do that because that is how you're going to make it over the long haul. Absolutely. You're talking my language. (laughs) (laughs) We're so 
on the same page. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So, like, how have you guys, um, you know, managed to – so are you still dairy-free and gluten-free in the house? Um, Predominantly. Yeah. So, yeah. How's that gone with, you know, four kids and being busy and all that? Have you had any – you know, fussy eaters. I know that you guys had made dietary changes along the way. So, again, it wasn't like, you know, kind of standard, well, not American diet, but we talk about the standard American diet, processed foods and whatever, and then overnight going to, you know, real foods and healthier things. But, you know, have you dealt with having fussy eaters and all that along the way? Do you know what? I think fussy eaters is a part of growing up to a degree. Um, mm-hmm. you know, children naturally go through a neophobic stage where they're don't like anything new and then I think also go through a stage of just you know asserting it's it's food is something that they can control what goes in food and bathroom habits oh yes (laughs) that's really all they have control over it is and they've got to have control over something in their lives and um so I think it's really how you manage those stages often as to what happens long term so um whether you create it as a, you know, make it into a battleground. Um, I love that. Yeah, right. How your response to it. Do you write it out and say, okay, you're not going to eat that today, you know, and then next move on, you know, or is it going to turn into a power struggle of you have to sit there so you eat everything on your plate and then it turns into this whole thing? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And if you start offering something else, then you're setting yourself up for a little bit of a, a world mm-hmm. of pain there. It's so easy to do. We all do. We all do it. Even even right. I do things that I've been sure. thinking afterwards. Oh, what did I do that for? <laughs> now that's good. I know it's going to happen tomorrow now. Yeah. Well, you brought me out the apple last night when I wanted it. So why can't I have it tonight? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but, you know, we, yeah, we're pretty... You're pretty lucky. I don't offer anything else other than what we've got. And um, like you said, I, I just couldn't imagine cooking different things for, for different people. So we have what oh, we yeah. have. And um, we have – I'm really particular about my language around food. So, um, for example, you know, if my little miss – I was going to say there's three. She was four a couple of weeks ago. She still has – uh, some things that she's just she still likes controlling what she eats really mm-hmm. but I wouldn't say she I don't like labeling her a fussy eater because she's actually yeah. phenomenal as well and we use the language with her when she says I don't like something I always rephrase it back to her you're still learning to like that aren't you so I'm always mm. giving her the understanding that it's something that at one point she may learn to like Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's not safe. Which I think we can all relate with. You know, I remember as a kid, I didn't really like mushrooms, and now I love mushrooms and all different types of mushrooms. And yeah, I really like that. So you're still learning to like that, aren't you? Yeah, yeah I like that. because it's a process, and it's not it's not a bookend. Exactly. And you know, there's there is a lot of research that shows that we need to expose the taste buds to things multiple times mm-hmm. um, before we do learn to you know, adapt to the taste as well. So um, especially things that aren't naturally sweet. Um, so, and actually my oldest son's prime example, he never liked olives until recently. And because we often use a little tasting chart as well, if we're going to a particularly bad time, we'll choose a new food that we're having trouble with and we'll make a little chart and once, and they get a little, you know, smiley face each time they've had a taste of that food. And, and once they've had their <laughs> 10 tastes, we can assess where they're at again. And, and it's just, uh, you know, just to have a little fun every now and again. Yeah. So he decided off his own bat that he wanted to learn to like olives. And so he, um, you know, and this is him as a nine-year-old. So um, <laughs> my seven-year-old loves olives, and I think he just kind of wanted to keep up with her a bit as well. But he tried yeah. them as if he never liked them. So he um, he had one uh, one day, and, you know, it was turning his mouth inside out, bless him. And actually within a week, he that was it. He loves olives. He's now fights her for the olives. And, oh, wow. Um yeah, and so I, the kids often repeat the language back to me now as well. You know, they'll say it to me, I'm still learning to like that. Or, mummy, mummy, I've, re- I've learned to like such and such now. 
I love that. So that I love you set up the framework, you know, you set up the, that structure for them to be able to have that experience rather than, Oh, I don't like that. Like that becomes like part of their identity. I don't like that. And so now it's like, Oh, I'm learning. It's it's fluid. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And they have things. I mean, Mr. Nine will not touch um, eggplant or aubergine and, yeah, <laughs> I mean he's tried, he's tried it many times, right. and he still doesn't like it. So, um, but then, I'm in the boat with him there. Yeah, I can't even go near. I can't even look at it. It really, it actually bothers me. A lot of other nightshades don't bother me, but that one that really does. Funny. Mm-hmm. See, I'm quite sensitive to most nightshades anyway, but I don't. I'm not a big fan. We actually had two beautiful ones in our organic um, vegetable box last week, and we gave them to the neighbour because I knew they wouldn't weren't going to get cooked up while they were still yeah <laughs> still fresh. <laughs> so you know, there's things that I, I let them go, but I think I guess. I guess the thing is we don't create a battle, mm-hmm. but we have an expectation or create an expe- expectation in the children that they will learn to like these things, that they've just got to keep being exposed to them. And, you know. Well, that actually has some biological basis mm-hmm. because, you know, naturally, like you said, taste buds develop over time. And, and, and naturally, you know, young children are very cautious about what they eat because we have to think back to when we weren't, you know, all living in homes and eating food from the grocery store and all this, and we were out on the land, and, you know, children would pop things into their mouth, and very often the reason they like sweet things is because sweetness in nature very often meant it wasn't poisonous. Absolutely. Yeah, because bitter, you know, bitter taste and strong taste very often were things that maybe were going to be poisonous or upset their stomach or whatever. And so it's like sweet equaled safe, equaled survival, Mm -hmm. you know, and then these other things were just strong. And, you know, while we're older and we can appreciate the strong flavors of red wine and blue cheese and olives and all of these things that are, you know, they really are quite exciting to the taste buds. You know, as a little person, that's a huge sensation. Absolutely. And yeah. actually, it's interesting you say sensation because that's also a huge part of learning to eat as well. So mm-hmm. um, our third child um, has lots of all sorts of sensory um, processing challenges, um, mostly managed now and a lot, you know, through a lot of different aspects, but for her, texture was a huge thing. Um, mm-hmm. and, you know, that's quite legitimate. But for her, actually, it was teaching her the mechanics of eating was actually kind of key. I remember lettuce. Um, it was we'd just moved over here, actually, so she was probably four. I can picture where we, you know where she was sitting when she learnt to eat lettuce, and <laughs> and that, you know that's. Was I've learned I've learned to eat lettuce, but I actually had to teach her how to chew lettuce and where in your mouth to put it to chew it, and mm-hmm. um, and I think that's interesting. That's a good point. Yeah, and because we don't think about those things as learned skills. No, um, right. exactly, and that was a breakthrough for me to realise. Wow, actually, she needed some specific teaching here that I hadn't had to do with the older two. Um, but for her was necessary, and that was the breakthrough for her being able to eat lettuce. Um, And her excitement, her sense of pride when she ate her first mouthful of lettuce, Um, and that's why it had always come back out again. She actually didn't know how to eat it. So uh, That's fascinating, and something really... That's really illuminating, I think, for a lot of parents listening, is like, oh, maybe something that I think is, you know, a a behavior problem or a child being difficult or whatever is actually a child not understanding, needing more direction, needing something in a new way we don't think about. Because as adults, we're adults. Like, we forget these things. We take so many things for granted. We take chewing and breathing and sleeping and walking and all of these things for granted. And sometimes, and of course, by breathing, I mean deep breathing. (laughs) Everybody's breathing. Um, but yeah, you just take it sort of for granted that this happens and we kind of forget that as little bitty people new to the whole world that these things aren't as, you know, natural and don't come as easily. Yeah. So a new way to look at things rather than this is something to irritate me or this is something you're doing wrong is how can I assist you in learning this and overcoming this problem and whatever, because you know, very often things just need a reframe. Absolutely. And, you know, I think uh, I'm trying to think, because I think it was Bonnie Harris from your Connective Parenting quote 
and she used to say, um, you know, my child is having a problem, not being a problem. Mm, I love that. I love that. And I quite often remind my husband when we can, you know, when something's going on or he'll remind me, most of the time, most of the behavior that we see is a child having a problem and looking at it through that lens, you approach it completely differently. So mm-hmm. I've kind of coined this um, functional parenting approach. So, you know, we, we talk in functional medicine about always looking for the root cause and not treating the symptoms, but, you know, looking at that, looking for that root cause and treating it from there. And so I, I've turned that same approach into um, into my functional parenting approach that I use my clients and same thing it's you know looking for the root cause of the behavior rather than looking at the displayed behavior as the symptom yes. as such uh, yes I love that that's mm-hmm. very powerful because yeah I saw like a a Facebook meme going around a, a week or so ago and it was something about like my child's behavior is a reflection of and you know a respect for my parenting was like what was crossed out and it was like their blood sugar, their amount of sleep, their <laughs> temperature, their, you know, like, yeah. seriously, yeah. because it's like, these little people aren't trying to be bad. They aren't trying to, you know, be a problem or push your, but- I mean, sometimes they're pushing buttons to test boundaries, like we know that, but Absolutely. they aren't bad people. <laughs> they aren't evil trying to ruin your life. They are people having a full experience. And, you know, it, it's very often uh, said that, you know, we are allowed as adults to have a bad day, to have a bad mood, to snap, you know, be snappy or whatever. And then if, if our children do that, we don't allow that. And it's like, that's, that's dehumanizing to them because they are having an experience and they're having a big experience, a new experience, many things for the first time. And these emotions and emotional responses and how to handle themselves in public and in other social situations, this is all very new and very overwhelming. So to have them, you know, react in a way, I mean, there's only so many ways they can react, right? It was crying and and being upset and all of these things, it's a reaction to, like you said, having a problem, not being a problem. And so going in and going, okay, I'm approaching this as how can I help them solve the problem rather than how can I punish them for being human and have any experience. Exactly. Nodding very strongly along with you here again. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Mm. I love it. Mm. I love it. Well, this has just been so much fun. I have so enjoyed talking with you and sharing all these things and uncovering, um, you know, all these things that we have in common. I love it. (laughs) Absolutely. Oh, great. Well, again, I'm going to have links to your website and uh, everything on the show notes. So again, listeners at realfoodwholehealth.com under podcast, under episodes, just click this episode and you'll go to the detailed show notes and that'll get you over to Bronwyn's website, the articles that we talked about, her social media and all those other good things for you. Bronwyn, thank you for being here today. Thank you so much, Amy. I've loved it. So happy to have you and we will definitely have to talk to you again. Love that. (laughs) Okay, we'll talk to you soon. Excellent. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thanks so much for joining us today, and please remember to leave us an iTunes review. Also, head over to our website at realfoodwholehealth.com and enter your email to receive free goodies, discounts, updates, and more. See you next time on the Real Food Whole Health Podcast.